Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. I mentioned on the last episode that we were making some format changes, and today we are debuting our first episode in this new series. Michael LeBron, urban fantasy author and the host of Author Level Up, recently joined me for a live hangout in the cafe, and we had a two-part conversation. In the first part, we talked about how Michael got started in his writing career and how a brush with death helped him realize just how important pursuing his dream was. We talked about the state of publishing nearly a decade ago versus today and how he manages to juggle a very busy life with a family, a day job, hosting a popular YouTube channel, and still building his back catalog to 80 plus books. Michael is a modern writing marvel and a heck of a nice guy. Oh, and you don't want to miss the part where he talks about writing his novels with his thumbs. I hope you enjoy this fun conversation with Michael LeBron. Feel as encouraged by his story as I did. Tomorrow, we're going to finish this chat as we shift gears to our craft segment. You don't want to miss this episode as we dig deep into character development and I get Michael to explain how he approaches casting his books with characters that readers care about and want to follow along with. And we are live here in the StoryCraft Cafe where we help you craft your best story. Tonight, I am super excited to have uh, a, a great friend and, and someone that, that I've known for quite a while in the writing community. And I don't even know how to describe everything that Michael does because Michael Laron is, uh, is one of those people that when you start talking about everything that Michael does, you will feel grossly inadequate. <laughs> And I mean that in the most loving way, Michael. Um, you, uh, is it safe to say that kind of the the umbrella for everything that you do does it kind of come out of author level up? Yes. Oh. So what does what does author level up mean? Well, it's it an idea that I came up with with in 2014, and it was about what are the things I can do today to level up my writing craft, right. level up my marketing level up my business, level up everything about me. I, I used to be a big gamer. And so leveling up, I thought, well, it'd be kind of cool. Marry two things that I love, author and level up. And so yeah. I have a YouTube channel that's got about 40,000 subscribers. And I do uh, generally weekly videos around writing craft, helping people be the best versions of themselves. And I try to lead by example. So I've published quite a bit of fiction myself and I am I'm not I'm not someone who just tells you how to write and then doesn't have any books to write myself. I'm a big believer in practicing what I preach. And so I've built a, a really great community of followers doing that and just trying to be as transparent as possible about all the things that I'm facing and, and how I solve them. And, and a lot of people find that helpful. So I started podcasting around 2014 as well, and it was an outgrowth of of my writing life. And you know, the, the initial idea was 
that if you want to be really great at something, then surround yourself with other people that are really great at something. You know, it's kind of the the um, uh, the advice that your you know your mom gives you. You know, surround yourself with with people that are better than you, and and you know try to be like them. Um, th- that's interesting. That there's a lot of people in this community that kind of came along around that same time. Uh, did you start publishing around then? Yeah, I published my first book in January of 2014. Wow. What what uh, what was that first book? First book was a book called Magic Souls. It is uh, what I like to call a choose your own adventure style <laughs> urban fantasy. So I cool. thought it'd be kind of cool to do a choose your own adventure style story. Can't I can't call it a choose your own adventure because that's trademarked, but it's very similar to that style. But I, sure. I figured what would it what would it be like if if I did that for adults? Like because, you know, those, the books are the books we grew up with with as kids. At least a yeah. lot of people did. And so I, I always wondered whatever happened to those books. And so I created a book like that, but but written specifically for ebooks and with a lot of advanced and kind of complicated story arcs and decisions and characters and stuff. So it was fun. Well, and that that's a a, a kind of story idea that that is prime for indie publishing. Um, you know, with traditional publishing, you know, maybe they can't get the whole machine behind an idea like that, but yeah. that's something that um, you know, the, the nimbleness uh, if that's a word uh, of indie publishing really lets you explore ideas like that. Did, did the idea of indie publishing um, when you first started, did you see the potential of uh, you know, stepping outside of the the machine of tradition, traditional publishing that was going to open up new ideas and new ways of doing things? Not at first. Um, I used to be one of those people that that believed that self-publishing was not a viable option. This, yeah. I actually have a journal article that I wrote in, I don't know, it must have been like 2010, 2011-ish, where I was like, self-publishing is the worst thing ever. And like, you, you read it, you, well, would, laugh out, it you would laugh out loud. <laughs> You'd be like, oh my goodness, this talk about people changing their minds, you know? Right. And, uh, but then I had a near-death experience and uh, realized that life is really short and things were changing in self-publishing. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to eat my words and rip up this uh, journal page and I'm going to try to take my own career into my own hands. Because at the time, I had tried to shop some stuff out to publishers and yeah. and it, it, it wasn't working really well. And they, I had a, I had a lot of different ideas, but like you said to your earlier point, that... Publishers are not going to get behind an ebook only 3000 page long interactive adventure. Right. So to be able to publish that, I knew I had to do it myself. Yeah. Um, the near death experience, what happened and, and what you said you came out of that uh, with a, with a purpose that was kind of on fire that, that you, you knew that you weren't going to let anything hold you back. Um, yeah, well, up, up up until that point, I had been a sometime writer. I'd written some poetry, short stories and stuff, and I was trying to shop stuff out to literary agents. And then I was on a nice dinner with my wife in 2012. So it's actually 10 years, 10 years this year, actually. It was oh, July wow. 2012. I, we were on a nice dinner. Later that night, I fell ill with what I thought was food poisoning, went to the hospital, was there a month. And lost 50 pounds. And, um, I was really close to, to expiring from this earth. And I remember laying on a hospital bed and, and thinking, what am I doing with, with my life? And, um, I just got this idea to self publish and, and try to 
swing for the fences, so to speak. And so I got out of the hospital, got better, got healed and realized I, I had a purpose and that this was what I wanted to be doing with my life. Fortunately, there was a, a, a sea change in publishing around that time. Yes. Where the, the birth of the Kindle um, had happened, um, you know, a couple of years before, but really didn't start getting mainstream acceptance until 2012, 2013, which also coincides with KDP and the platform that then allowed authors to get their stories published to this new uh, audience of readers. Um, did, when did you start hearing about that? And when did you realize that, that the self-publishing of that time wasn't exactly the self-publishing that you were thinking about a couple of years earlier? Because it, it, in a lot of ways, what you said earlier was true for the way self-publishing used to be. But there there was a change and the you know, it was no longer the pay to play sort of, mm -hmm. um, you know, scenario. Yeah, I found out about the new world of publishing shortly after I got out of the hospital was when I discovered the creative pen by Joanna Penn. And so, Joanna, yep, that and, and the, the Alliance of Independent Authors were I found them right around the same time. And that's when I started to open my eyes. Wow. So you you published that first book. Um, you have now uh, at this point, looking back, how many how many books have you published now? I am working on book number 81 and I'm almost done. That's insane. That is insane. Um, you publish fantasy, urban fantasy, science fiction. Um, what was your initial draw to to science fiction and fantasy? I've always been a science fiction and fantasy fan. If you cut me open and bleed me out, I'll bleed science fiction and fantasy stories. So I, I played a lot of video games growing up, read a lot of fantasy books and sci-fi books growing up. And so that's always how my mind was built. The, the type of stories that I wanted to tell were almost always a team of good guys fighting against a team of bad guys and the good guys win in the end. And to me, that is the classic definition of fantasy, not so much sci-fi, depending on yeah. what uh, subgenre you read. But I, I just enjoy I just enjoyed that. And so it was a it was a natural fit for me to to step into sci-fi and fantasy. What's interesting uh, is that most people, when they write and publish that first book, um, there there's so much of their personal life invested in that first story. And it seems like all of their hopes and dreams are hinging in this first story, you know, um, now looking back over 80 books, um, do you kind of, do you kind of chuckle at those ideas of, you know, the, uh, how do I say this? The, the purity of the art, you know, that there's, there's this one story that's inside me and it's, it's the thing that defines me. And, and now you're looking at, well, I have 80 stories now and there's, there are probably pieces of me in all of those. Yeah. How, how do you feel about, you know, amassing a body of work and and it you know, being representative of who you are? I'll tell you this. I don't think I've ever told anybody this. So okay. when I first started publishing, when I was writing my first book, it, the first book took me like 18 months. And I, I, I remember I had a like a journal, like a daily journal of everything that I was writing, everything I was doing. And I remember planning, doing like a planning session on like a Sunday afternoon at a coffee shop. And I remember this so vividly. I, I thought back in 2012, if I publish 10 books by the time I die, 
I will be enormously happy and die a happy man. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I had no long-term, no long-term thinking at all. I mean, I ended up publishing 10 books that year, let alone, you know, trying to project out 10 books in my entire life. So yeah, you know, just, just when I think I have no more ideas, there's always another one always. And I think part of that is because I'm always on the lookout for ideas. And I know I've gotten really good over the years at being able to, to meet a new person or come across a new concept and think about how that could translate into a story. And I've also been very good about always reading, consuming new content, keeping that creative well full so that honestly, I don't think that, I mean, maybe it, it could happen one day, but I really don't think that there will ever be a day where I don't have ideas. And, and to what you said earlier, yeah, every idea is, is certainly a part of me in some respect. Yeah. It kind of reflects it, maybe some things that were going on in my life at the time or parts of my philosophy on life, or maybe, you know, I, I, I ran across some, some guys in the airport the other day that were just grade A jerks that inspired <laughs> the idea for a series that I'm going to write next. So I, I'm always, always on the lookout. I've always got my little tentacles out there <laughs> bringing in ideas and mixing them together and it's a blast. Well, writing uh, 80 books, having a wildly popular YouTube channel, um, you also hosted, um, you've been involved with a number of podcasts through the years. Um, your, uh, th the podcast that, that you sunsetted last year, um, that, that you, you went to like 160 episodes something like or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and you, uh, I remember the last time we talked, you were going to law school, uh, on top of a full-time job, on top of publishing, on top of podcasting. Um, you know, some people would say, how do you find the hours in the day? But, you know, you're allotted the same 24 hours that the rest of us are allotted. How do you, how do you approach your day so that you can fit in all of the things that you need to fit in? You also have a wife and daughter um, that that are are going to need some attention as well. Yeah. If you're going to you know <laughs> stay happily married, um, how do you look at your day? What, let's let's ask it this way: How do you look at your day differently than you think other people do? Because you've got the same twenty four hours the rest of us do, but something is different in your mind, the way you see the hours that you have allotted. Well, the first thing I do is I always make sure every morning that I cut a, a hole in the time space continuum. And <laughs> that way I can get seven days. I don't want to but I'm going to need detailed bullet points. On all that. right. I'll write a yeah. book about it. <laughs> so, well, how I look at the day, I, that's a really insightful question, Hank. I, I guess for me, I've been religious over the last decade about cutting out things that are not important and that are not a priority. So I don't watch television. I don't play video games anymore. I used to write music and play guitar and piano and sax. I don't do any of those things anymore. I barely even watch the news. I mean, I, you would be shocked. Well, that's at, probably healthy. Yeah. It's, it's probably one of the better things I've ever done actually, right. but you would be shocked at how little I do things that like a normal person would do. And so all of that time that I spent doing those things now goes toward writing. And I've also invested in technology and in automation. Those have been amazing ways to help me 
get way more out of my day than most people do. So for example, I think you and I talked about this when you had your last podcast, I write on my phone. So when I was on the airplane, I I just got back from New York city. I was at the writer's digest annual conference. And when I was on the plane, I was writing a chapter and I was able to finish a chapter while I was on the plane up in the sky. And a lot of people would probably just be on their phone, checking Facebook or, you know, doing something, but they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be writing a novel. Right. So automatically that, that hour and a half that I was on, on the plane, I got, I, that was productive for me. I also, I have a little voice recorder. I don't know if you can see it, but got this little voice recorder and I ended up being stranded in the airport. Um, O'Hare airport is my least favorite place in the world, but I get (laughs) stranded there and I was stuck there for an extra three hours. And so I found a little dark hallway and I, you know, I found a dark hallway and I sat in the corner in O'Hare airport with like all these people passing by (laughs) and I was dictating into my novel, dictating a novel. Right. So I was on the plane writing and then immediately got off off of the plane, found a dark corner and picked up where I left off on this voice recorder. And that netted me like 1500 words. Right. So those little things add up, you know, and it's, it's also about finding that, that, that lost, you know, it's almost like reclaiming your time. And I've done this, I've done this in the car. Like my wife had a doctor's appointment and I couldn't go in because of the COVID policies. So I sat in the car and I, I dictated for like 20, 30 minutes. I've, I've, I've written on my phone in the grocery store, stand in line for checkout in the backseat of Uber cars. So I look at every day and the things that I go through as an experience to be more productive and a hundred words here, 50 words here, 2000 words here, it all adds up. And then at the end of the day, I have more words um, before breakfast than a lot of people have for their entire day. True. And so I think that, you know, the combination of technology, automation, focusing on what's important and also eliminating things that are not important have helped me be as prolific and productive as I am. Yeah. I remember talking with um, Chris Fox when, when his 5,000 words per hour, you know, was, was all the rage. And, and um, one reason that, or one thing that he used to get those massive word counts was dictating. And, and he talked about, you know, having that recorder with him and, and, um, and uh, there's a you use a different part of your brain uh, when you dictate, at, or at least I do, than when I'm sitting down, even on my phone, using my thumbs to type, or I'm sitting at the at the computer with a full keyboard. It's a sometimes it's a subtle difference, but sometimes it's a dramatic difference in the way that you think about the story and thinking through your fingers versus imagining the story and talking it out. Was that a a difficult transition to make for you? Yeah, it wasn't easy in the beginning. I think a lot of people get discouraged by dictation because they hear themselves and they think I sound like a (laughs) terrible robotic (laughs) person, you know, but if you actually listen to my dictation sessions, they are just as robotic as yours. Probably it. Yeah. I, I actually, I like to dictate while I'm doing dishes too. So I'll be doing dishes and I've got like this little harmonica neck holder and I put yeah. the, I put the voice recorder into the harmonica neck holder so that the, the voice recorder is like inches away from my mouth while I'm doing the dishes. So, you know, I kind of look like Darth Vader and I can, I can only move a certain way. You know, I, I can't bend over or anything like that because it'll be weird. But when I'm doing that, I'm dictating and I'm, I'm, th- I'm, I'm saying half a sentence, thinking for a couple seconds, finishing the sentence up. Oh, I made a mistake. 
go back, you know, I have a way of doing that. And then, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a little robotic. It's a little choppy. It's not as fluid as uh, some people. Uh, there's authors like Kevin J. Anderson. If you ever listened to some of his dictating, yeah. oh my God, it, it's like, it comes down from the heavens. It all comes out like, <laughs> like, 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 like he's, like he's reading it from a script or something. I can't do that. I mean, at least I'm, I'm working up to that. I one day hope yeah. I can get there. And it, it, it's, it's like riding a bike. Once you learn how to do it, you never forget it, but you have to get comfortable with it. I've, I've never heard any of Kevin J. Anderson's uh, dictation, but we've had conversations about it. And, and, you know, I, I just, I love his idea. He's like, well, I just go out for a hike. And when yeah. I come back, there's, you know, two chapters ready he, to he go. Is, and he is the master at it. It's one. If, if you ever get a chance, listen to, listen to some of his raw files. He just did a Kickstarter and I, I funded it. And he, I mean, one of the bonuses was you get the raw audio oh, of the wow. novel that he published. And it's unbelievable. So that, that's something so to aspire to for sure. But then you listen to it and you get mad. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. man. <laughs> and, and does your family just, uh, do they, you know, just eventually well, that's, that's just, you know, one of the things that dad does, he does dishes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do some really, I do some really weird stuff when I dictate too. So like I said, I talked about using technology. I have yeah. a, I have a stop word. So like if I make a mistake, I'll say Pikachu period. And so then <laughs> When I so I wrote a Microsoft Word macro. So every time it sees the word Pikachu, period, it just deletes that whole sentence. So that way I don't have to worry about going through and cleaning up. And then when I get interrupted from someone, like like I say, I'm dictating doing the dishes and my daughter walks up to me and needs something, you know. Well, if if you don't if you don't if you stop and you start talking to the person that's interrupting you, right. all of that ends up in your recording. Right. So what I do is I created this 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 thing that I do. I and I I stop and I say bulbasaur. And then I, then I'll talk to my daughter and handle it, whatever. And then the Microsoft word macro, when I go back, I'll say Bulbasaur again. And then the macro will eliminate everything between the two word Bulbasaurs. So That's it sounds fantastic. super weird when I talk, you know, <laughs> like uh, the other day I was at Chick-fil-A because yeah. I, I was getting lunch for my daughter and I, I'm dictating. And uh, this person comes up and says, excuse me, sir. So I had to say Bulbasaur, then roll my window down. <laughs> So people are probably like, what is this guy doing, man? This is so weird, but it works. So, but you got to, you, you eventually learn how to do stuff like that on the fly right. and it becomes second nature. And my point is that, you know, if it sounds complicated, it is in the beginning, but if you become more comfortable with it, just like you become more comfortable learning how to sit down and write a story. Right. Right. Um, the, the last time that we talked on a podcast was right before COVID happened. And, um, and a lot has happened in the world since then. Um, one thing that I've uh, I've enjoyed asking people was uh, writers live and work differently from from everyone else in the world. Uh, most of what we do is in a room by ourselves with a computer, except for you. You know, there's doing dishes and and all of that. Um, but how did how did the the covid um, lockdowns and, uh, and, and, and that whole thing that we experienced the last two and a half years, how did that affect your creative life? It was tough in the beginning just because it didn't know what was going on yeah. and didn't know how it was going to impact the future and, you know, my health and health of the people that I love and all of that. But once I got past the initial shock of like the first 90 days or so, it was amazing. And I, it sounds weird to say that, but the reality is I was stuck at home. 
in a room. I had, I had an excuse to be in a room and make stuff up. <laughs> right. So, right. And, and, and book sales, and I don't know about other people, but my book sales went up at least in the early days of COVID. That was awesome. And also a lot, of, I got a lot of speaking engagements because uh, there were a lot of places that couldn't meet in person. And so the, now a lot of conferences have virtual components and that's great because you don't necessarily have to travel. So right. uh, it, it, it's been overall for me, I would say it has been a net positive. I know that that's not true for everyone and certainly I'm sensitive to the, the ravages that, that COVID has had without of a doubt, course. you know, and it's in fact, it's, it's certainly affected my, my family negatively as well. But as far as the writing, it has been very favorable for me and uh, I've, I've been, been very fortunate. Well, uh, it, it's one of those things that I, I don't know that I've met anyone that hasn't been touched by COVID in one way or another, uh, right. extended family or uh, a job situation or something. So it, it's this interesting cultural touchstone that we're going to be able to draw from for the next couple of generations, probably, you know, that it's, it's an, it's an interesting thing. And it is, it's, I, I'm really interested to see how it starts coming out in stories because there, and I've only met, a handful of people that have specifically referenced the the COVID time period in their stories, but but there are a couple. But I'm going to be interested to to see kind of metaphorically how it comes out in stories. It's going to be interesting, I think. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of people who live through it don't want to go back to it, right? And, and I think that my grandkids will be a lot more interested in what it was like. That's yeah. that's the theory I have. I think people who went through it, they lived it. They don't want to go back to it. <laughs> they don't want to think about, right. uh, you know, March right. 2020 again. But I do think that there will be an interest in young people who want to know what it was like and, and have a lot of questions or, you know, some producer 20, 30 years from now who wants to make a movie that's set during COVID. And right. you know, it's a super hyper realistic period piece. Right. <laughs> I, I think that would that's going to be fun to see. Absolutely. Uh, so, Michael, what. What new do you have on the market? What what are you excited about right now? I have a, a piece of fiction and a piece of nonfiction that I'm excited about. Okay. Uh, the piece of fiction I'm excited about is my new Good Necromancer series. It's a urban fantasy series about a necromancer who uses his powers for good. And he uses those to keep the city of St. Louis safe from St. Louis. And so I set it in my hometown. And that series has, has been great. It's very well received by readers. It's six books strong and I'll soon be working on book number seven. So I'm excited about that. And on not the nonfiction side, I just wrote a book, a, a, a series of books or two books uh, on estate planning for authors, which is not a very sexy topic, but a very important topic. And there aren't right. very many books on the topic. So what to do or, or how to, how to prepare your heirs and the people who you're going to leave behind how to prepare them to continue making money from your books. What happens to your books when you die? What are some things that uh, you can think about to make sure that you continue to have a legacy that will ensure that people will read your books a hundred years from now. And it's kind of a difficult topic, not an easy topic. It's a complicated, multifaceted topic, but I did a lot of research, consulted with a lot of attorneys and put together what I think are the two most comprehensive books one for authors and one for the people that will be their heirs. And so well, those books are called the author estate handbook and the author heir handbook. So very excited about those. Fantastic. Um, those are, 
I, I can't think of a, a better topic for um, I, I happen to know a couple of authors um, that that have passed away and their family was left to um, to try to figure out what to do with one with the legacy of their work, but also this body of work that was still um, bringing money in. And, you know, how do we how, how do we deal with that? How do we harness the, the thing that that dad or mom you know, created for us. And, uh, that, that I, I don't know why someone hasn't, um, before now come up with that idea, but I'm so glad you did. That's fantastic. Um, tell people where they can find, uh, the, the two nonfiction books as well as your new fiction series. Yeah. My new fiction series is at michaelleron.com slash the good necromancer. Um, the first book in the series is called Shadow Deal. So you can also find that at michaelleron.com slash shadow deal. You can check out the estate books at authorlevelup.com slash estate handbook. I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> estate estate handbook. So I do have two different websites, one for my fiction, one for my nonfiction. So if anybody has any trouble, just feel free to reach out. I'll be happy to point you in the right direction. Excellent. We will uh, link up those in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find Fantastic. it um, as well. I hope you enjoyed the first part of our chat with Michael LeBron. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for the second part. Like I said, today we went into Michael's history as a writer and kind of, you know, what he thinks about story and, and the, the business of writing. But tomorrow we dive deep into character development. See you then.